I'm a principal of a school, if you um, haven't met you before, at Hamilton Christian School. What I want to do is to start today with a test. Genuinely. It's not one of those pre-tests where I say, okay, how much do you know about this, and then we're going to test you again, but it's an awareness test. And it's, I think it's a good test. I'm not going to speak too much about it till we've, we've done the test, but would you please follow... Maybe if we could have the lights down just a little bit, it was a bit difficult. Okay, this is an awareness test. I'm going to speak over it because the um, sound isn't working on it. So this is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Anyone? Thirteen. However, the real question is, did you see the moonwalking bear? Some of you saw the moonwalking bear. Have a look. He comes in from, comes in, he's right in the middle and watch him. How did you not see the moonwalking bear? I I was asked to speak on Luke chapter 7, which we'll talk about today. Luke chapter 7, 1 to 10. And one of the things that I find, when I come into a familiar passage, I go looking for the stuff I already know. So I have a preconceived idea about what God's going to tell me about it. Do you do that? You open up the scripture and you go, oh yeah, the Good Samaritan, I've read that story, speed read. Just what I thought. But I think sometimes God wants us to see the moonwalking bear. And it's not something we're intentionally looking for. But if we take time to ask God's Holy Spirit to come and to be a part of what we do, He reveals new stuff to us. Who knows that the Word of God is living? Yeah. And you can read a passage time and time again, and suddenly there's a new revelation that you've never seen before. But we've got to open our eyes, take the scales off, and be prepared for God to teach us new things through Scripture. What are you thinking about now? Are you focused? Marvel. When I think about the centurion, when I think about the centurion, I've got to say I don't always have the best attitude towards him. Because for me, as I read the scripture, sometimes I think, there was something not quite right with the centurion and that it was interesting that Jesus kind of got fooled by him. Just being honest. And I'll explain more as we go along. But here's one of the themes for today. Does your faith cause Jesus to marvel? So to unpack the story, we're going to do two things. We're going to consider the request, and we're also going to consider the response. Because someone made a request of Jesus, and Jesus responded to that request, and a part of what Jesus responded that was important was what he didn't respond with. Does that make sense? So his response was good. We learn about Jesus and the way that he responded to the request. But also what he didn't do, which I probably would have done, if I was giving a response. 
So the big picture as we go through today is this. If you get this, you can go home early. I don't think that the story of the centurion was about just the centurion. As we read it, you'll see there was a team of people involved in a request that was somewhat not deserved. And it caused Jesus to marvel. It wasn't about an individual. I think the team was really important. So what I want us to go away with today is, are you a part of a team that is seeking more than you feel you deserve? Because if you're not, you'll always get what you ask for. Does that make sense? If you're, a part of, if you're not a part of a team seeking more than you deserve, then you'll always get what you deserve, what you ask for, because you're not asking for enough. So let's read the passage, Luke 7. If you have it in your Bible, this is from the New Living Translation, NLT. So the faith of the Roman officer. When Jesus finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, a highly valued slave of a Roman soldier or officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal the slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and he even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, let me read that bit again. So just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my house, for I am not worthy of such honor. I am not worthy, even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority. I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. It says he marveled in the, in the new uh, King James. I like the word marvel over amazed, amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Consider this. A Roman soldier asks for something in a unique way. And Jesus, who is a Jew, is talking to people who are Jews, who have seen Jesus as a Jew perform miracles. And he is saying to the Jewish crowd, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Have you considered that? That's a pretty big statement. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. 
So I've got to say, I've struggled with this passage because I feel, why did, why did the centurion wait until Jesus was almost at the house and change his mind? Jesus had been busy. He had been teaching. He had been talking through the Beatitudes. He had been preaching about what it means to be Christian, that by our faith, by our fruits, they will know us. So he'd had a busy day, performed some miracles, done some teaching, and he's on his way home. And someone comes and asks Jesus to divert his paths to go to their house. Now, of course, what would happen in those days is as they went to the house, they would be hosted well, wouldn't they? They'd go in, there'd be a feast, talk about some stuff, rest, clean your feet, tidy up. So Jesus had done all the work, and he's walking, he's almost at the house, and he goes, oh, never mind. Just say it. Just say that he'll be healed. My humanness takes over sometimes, and I think, what was he hiding? What was it that he just sort of realized, hang on, if Jesus is coming into my house, is everything in order? But that's not what Jesus, it's not how Jesus deals with it. There are 33 miracles that Jesus performed, 11 in Capernaum, but only two are for the Gentiles. And this is one of them. So it's a turning point in the book of Luke. I want us to focus on the team that was a part of the miracle. Because it wasn't just the centurion, was it? Let's consider... The servant. See how this fits into some of the words that were shared this morning. The servant would not have known what was going on. The servant wasn't begging the centurion to find someone to heal him. We know very little about him, but we know he was nearly dead. People who are nearly dead don't do much, do they? So that the servant, wasn't his faith that healed him? The servant knew very little about what was going on. In fact, I guess one day he woke up and a whole lot of stuff had been done on his behalf because of a team, not one person, because of a team that asked Jesus to do something that maybe wasn't even justified. In the team seeking a miracle or something bigger than what we think we deserve, some of us are the servant. And others of us need to open our eyes to see what the needs of those others around us is. What I do know about the servant is he obviously was faithful to his master. He worked hard. He was respected. And that's what caused the team to come around, didn't it? So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, make sure that you do what you're called to do to the best of your ability. I think the elders had it pretty rough, to be honest. Because the elders would have understood Jewish culture and they would have understood the gravity of what they were doing. There was no precedent for a Gentile's request 
of this Jewish leader to be granted. There isn't a precedent that Jesus was working at all with the Gentiles at this stage. Everything to this point had been done with the Jews. And I know that the Jewish elders wrestled with this because they came pleading, justifying the request. Who knows that when someone knows they don't deserve something, we start with the justification rather than just the request. It says this in verse 3, When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders why did he choose Jewish elders? Because he really needed it, didn't he? But again, we talk about relationship. The relationship that the servant had with his master was strong enough that his master sought something that he may not deserve. And the Jewish leaders had a relationship that was strong enough within this team to fulfill the wishes of the centurion. So the Jewish elders came and asked, came to him, came and asked him to come and heal the slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. Oh, if anyone deserves your help, he does. He loves the Jewish people. He even built, you see what I mean? Like they're not just going, hey, Jesus, by the way, good guy over there, he needs, uh, he's got a request, something you can do easily. They knew they were pushing the boundaries of Jesus. Because culture is culture. And who knows that the Romans weren't in Israel? Like this centurion didn't have a Roman sandal factory, did he? Is that why he existed and that's why he was in Israel? Was he in Israel because he had a pizza parlor? Because it wasn't common for this relationship to be so strong. Consider culture. A culture, there's physical things that are different, isn't there? This is, I got to go to China earlier this year. Culture, I'm the guy in the middle, by the way, <laughs> in case you sort of, I see you're struggling, with Sean there. I mean, there's a whole lot of physical stuff that is just different when we compare different cultures, isn't there? But it's more than that. It's the way we do things, what we value. I remember going to um, the formal dinners. Like, business is all done around a business table, and so we'd walk into a room, there'd be a big circular table. And uh, what they do is they, in the culture, they would sit the most important person the furthest away from the door, and then next to him, the next important person, and the next, and the next, and the next, until the person who they're prepared to give up through someone running through the door and stabbing is right next to the door. That's the only thing I can gather. <laughs> but it took me right back to intermediate. Like, who remembers at intermediate we have two captains, and they're like going, okay, I want, I want him on my team, and there's a, I want him, and I, I felt... This little return to intermediate going off. I don't want to be last. I don't want to be last. Don't be by the door. Like, what do you know that I don't know? And the food there is incredible. Like, who, who knows that the, the Chinese food in China is quite different to Chinese food in Rotatuna? It's a great, it's a great shop, by the way. But um, I, I had this one experience 
culturally, I just, this, is, this is all very, very important. Um, I had this cultural experience, and, and uh, the, one of the hosts was saying to me, oh, uh, how do you like your food? Do you like it spicy? And I was like, Chinese food, spicy. I was like, well, uh, like I, I don't mind even hot, hot Indian food. So Chinese food, do whatever you will, you know, like... Well, what I didn't realize is that Chinese food is actually really spicy. So they brought, disguised as a bowl of soup, this fire. <laughs> and they, they put it in front of me, and they're like, and like I just remember um, the first time I, like, I, I had a sip of it, and it was literally like just drinking molten steel or something. <laughs> and, uh, and they're all looking at me, <laughs> and they're going, oh, so how is it? And I was like, it's great. Having a drink of water. And the issue was, is because I have no hair, all the sweat beads couldn't get tied up in any hair or anything. So, sort of this, anyways, culture. <laughs> culture is different, isn't it? I remember, um, here, here we go, Bron and I went to the Philippines. These are, these are fantastic bites. They found that one for me. I'm not sure why they gave me that one. But um, they're, they're made out of bamboo. They're a really cool sort of uh, social enterprise project over in the Philippines. And they said to us, um, now, when you come over, now, we host really well, and, uh, and, and we don't want to be overbearing, but are you okay with us hosting? And we're like, oh, yeah, all we're okay. We'll go medium then, like we'll go medium hosting kind of deal. And, and so they turn up on the first day, they pick us up from the airport, and they give us two bags of food after they just fed us. And there's two big bags of food, and they're like, oh, here you go, here's some food for you to snack on. We're like, oh, that's... That's way too much for the week. Anyways, so we went out to a restaurant that night. They hosted us well, and then we came back home, and then we went to do the first thing, first thing in the morning. They turned up with another bag of food, just in case. We'd finished everything. And we're just like, what? They, they allowed us to go, as a part of the trip, they, they wanted us to go to um, a resort for some time to get away. And they came with us, <laughs> with their son. They hosted us really well, quite differently to New Zealand. But culture is important in the story because the elders understood the culture and they understood that the Romans' request wasn't something that was justified from who Jesus was on the surface because there were different cultures. So that's the part that I'm talking about when I say, are we, are we pursuing something that we might not even be justified in pursuing? How big is our faith? I think the friends probably had a pretty rough time. Imagine this. You know that the centurion guy has sent people, elders, important, respected elders, to bring Jesus to the house. And then he says, oh, I've changed my mind now. I want someone to go and tell them not to come, but just tell Jesus to just say that my son is healed and it will be okay. I don't imagine two media friends going, please, can I do that one? Jesus was really important. He had been performing miracles. He was known as a great teacher. The Jewish people understood him. But these friends had to go and sort of do this odd job of not really understanding what they're getting into. So the friends had a really important part to play as well. But it was very different to the servant, and it was very different in the miracle to what the elders did. But they were a part of the team, weren't they? 
And of course, you got the Roman soldier, the centurion. I think he understood what he was asking. But he had hope. He had hope because a little earlier in chronology, you would have seen there's a, a passage in Mark where a Jewish leader's son was healed in Capernaum. And it's likely they were of similar circles because of the hierarchy of society. And so he had heard that Jesus can perform miracles and heal people. So he wasn't flying blind into this request, but he knew that Jesus could do stuff beyond what most people can. He knew that he was a miracle-working God, at least a miracle-working person. And then we got Jesus. Like I said, like if I was Jesus... Do you remember the fig tree? Jesus comes along to a fig tree and it's not bearing fruit. And then it says in brackets, uh, it wasn't fig tree fruit season. And Jesus cursed the fruit tree and it never bared fruit again. I think Jesus can be pretty real. And so when he has finished a hard day and a hard time performing miracles and teaching, someone says, come to my house, please. Obviously, there's an invitation for hosting and food and cleaning and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, sure, we'll, we'll do that. That's a good thing to do. After all, I've just been preaching that, um, you know, it's the fruit of your spirit. Fruit, the fruit is what uh, you will be known by, and our faith needs to grow. So I'm going to do that journey, and he's going to the guy's house, and then suddenly someone else goes, oh, actually, change of plans, Jesus. Change of plans. Um, why don't you just tell the servant to be healed? You know, you're that good, remember? And Jesus marvels at his faith. Where I would have questioned things. So when we think about wherever, we never be like Jesus, I think we've got to be careful that we don't become more caught up in the journey we have taken and the small journey others have taken. So I, I remember um, we were... A long time ago, one of my first principalships, we were going to Christchurch on a bus, and there was a, a mother whose car had broken down, and she just had a newborn as well. And it was really difficult for them to get their son to our school that day to go to this cross-country event in Christchurch. And what happened is she rung the school and talked to one of my teachers and said, oh, look, I know it's a little bit out of your way, but do you think it would have be a real problem if we, if you picked my son up on the way to Christchurch. I would like to think this story was a good story. But her response was, can you imagine how that would go if people found out we were doing that for you? And she said, no. I was just like, what? The smallest inconvenience for us to save someone else a whole heap of trouble, surely we can do that. So when I think about Jesus' response, he didn't, he didn't go in and judge the motives of what the Samaritan, was, or the uh, centurion was doing. He absolutely went straight to the high road. And he, he knew that what he was asking was wholesome. 
how do we deal with those situations? You know, are we, do we reflect on how we've been affected by something before we make a judgment, whether we will do or will fulfill the request of somebody else? Interestingly, this isn't the only time Jesus marveled at faith. In Mark 6, Jesus marveled at the lack of faith. It's the only time it talks about Jesus marveling. One was he marveled at the faith of the centurion, and the other time he marveled at the lack of faith of a group of people. Mark 6 says this, Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. Verse 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which has been given to him, that such mighty works can be performed in his hands? Is he not the son of the carpenter? And Jesus goes on to say, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So Jesus doesn't just marvel at our faith when we get it right. He also marvels when we can get it wrong. One of the important things I've learned over time is when we're on part of a team that is looking for something that pursues God's call for our place or fulfillment of, prophes- of promises, sometimes who's not on the team is as important as who is on the team. I want to read a passage just before the prophet in his town is not without honor from Mark also. So Mark 5.38 says this, when they, that was Jesus and his crowd that were following him, he just called the disciples actually, um, came to the house of a synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them leave. Did Jesus have the ability to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead? Did he? Absolutely he did. It's shown later that that's exactly what he does. But there were some in the room who had no faith. There were some in the room that didn't believe the promises of God. There were some in the room that actually stopped Jesus in his tracks from performing the very miracle that he was about to perform. And the first thing he did is he removed them. And I found in my own sort of journey as I've gone working in different ministries that sometimes the breakthrough and miracles and promises don't happen until the right people are gone from the ministry. And that's a really hard one. So when we think about the question, are you a part of a team that is working together for something more than you deserve? 
got to consider who is and isn't on the team. Unless you're the All Blacks, it's much better to have 15 people on the field than just 14. So, I don't know. I got told off. I got told it was too early for that joke this morning. Sorry, everybody. So here's the thing. So the, the centurion was seeking something culturally beyond what he actually deserved. Well, when I think about the, centurion, the story of the centurion's faith, I keep kind of going, oh, yeah, isn't that amazing? Jesus came along, the centurion said, why don't you just say it? You can say it. And he said it, and it was done. It's a great story of Jesus. Next story. It's like the moonwalking bear thing, isn't it? But I wonder what God's calling us into as a team. I think about something big, like really what would it take to cause Jesus to marvel about your requests or what you're involved in or what I'm involved in? Do you remember a while ago there was a police advertising campaign and it said um, the theme was tell better stories? Does anyone remember that? It wasn't that long ago. TV was colour, thin. (laughs) Tell better stories. And I'm, I'm always curious about those people who go, oh, look, I just don't, I don't have that testimony. I don't have that faith story. I don't have, you know, God did amazing things through those people over there, but that's not me. And I wonder if the limitation was Jesus and what he was doing or me. So I wonder what it is that we do with our own faith journey that is stepping out into something big that maybe more than we deserve, that allows the miraculous to happen and allows us to have that testimony to point back to Jesus about what he can do. I know the limitation isn't Jesus. I know the limitation isn't his promises. I know it's not culture. But what do we need to do to tell a better faith story? The the centurion stepped into a space for somebody else in a place that he probably didn't deserve to go, asking a Jewish man to heal his son, his servant. Has God placed something on your heart? I know that we're all called to do a few things. And they're not like, if you're bored, consider doing this. But we're actually commanded to do these things. Like we're all commanded by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. It's not like a, since it's raining on Sunday afternoon, you've got nothing else to do. You're not going to watch the replay of the All Blacks. Why don't you go into the world and make disciples of all nations if you're bored? It's a commandment that we all have. Another commandment is we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's got a neighbor? Like, I don't. When we talk about something big, 
I think we get all caught up and it has to be going to Africa. But who knows people who need a miracle to be a part of the kingdom story? That we can be on a team that sees that come into fruition. I know that the biggest fan for God's kingdom moving forward is God. The biggest advocate for the kingdom of God to expand is God. We've just been singing lovely words about the God of miracle, the God who does impossible. And we think small. I think we think small. Here's a funny challenge. If you've got a phone, can you take out your phone? It's not a challenge, it's a request. It's one of those, I'm the teacher, you're the students, and now I want you to take out the phone, please. Because I think we need to think about this for a little while, and you need to seek God about what He wants you to be involved in. I'm not saying give up your job, sell your house, But I'm saying you're called to do something big, aren't you? You're called to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, fortunately, in New Zealand, the nations are coming to us. Why don't you, can you think of someone who you trust spiritually, who understands your journey? And I want you to do a text to them now. And what I want you to say to them is this. We need to talk about something big. Dot, 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 it's all good because someone did that before and they've had phone calls and all sorts going, hey, you're right. Okay. But I think send a text because this is, like how do we take a message on Sunday and we do something with it on Tuesday? Set up a coffee date with them. But don't we all need to do that? Don't we all need to be in a place where we can talk about something big? If you're forever asking Jesus for stuff that you know he will give you, I don't think that's living in faith. I don't think it's faith. I think when we pursue things that are bigger than us, That is faith. Or the texts are coming back. You're not allowed to respond to the texts. I remember this word. The question is this. I talked about how our faith. If we're going to have faith, like there's one thing to be a believer, but there's a thing to have faith and to move in that. And we don't have good stories to tell. If we don't have good stories to tell, it's because we're complacent with where we're at on our faith journey. We know what God can give. We don't go outside that boundary. So do you have a marvelous faith or do you have a marvelous faith? Talk to someone about it.
Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. What does that look like for you? How are you doing? If you had Jesus ask you to give yourself a rating out of 10 for how you're going with that, what would it be? Be honest with yourself. Because this isn't something that Jesus says if you feel like it. It's what we're called to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing for that? Are we pursuing something with a team that is greater than what we deserve? That's the question. Because if you're not, you will always get what you have asked for and you will have that mere faith, that mere journey. But I know that we're called into something so much bigger than that, so much better than that. The promises are there for us. Search the Scriptures. If you'd like to stand, I want to just finish off with some prayer. While your eyes are closed, who's got that feeling in their soul that they know God wants to do something with their life more than what they're currently doing? Let me pray. God, we are We're your servants. And you put so many amazing people around us. And you have a calling on our lives. And it's not something little. Oh God, we need prayers. We need people to understand that it's not a suggestion to follow your commandments, but we know that we're not, it's not by those works that we are saved. It's because we are saved that we desire to do the works. God, I pray for an implosion of faith. God, to take us outside of our comfort zone for where we are today, Lord, that that we will have better stories to tell of the faithfulness of Christ. put people around us that stretch us and challenge us in our walk. And God, as we consider what big might be, let us not consider that based on our own strength, but based on the fact that the biggest champion for His kingdom to be expanded, for this to work, is God, the God of miracles. We're yours. Take us as broken vessels, as people, sinful, but sanctified. And do as you will with our lives as we are obedient to you. God, if we have faith, if we have faith, may it cause you to marvel. In Jesus' awesome name, amen.